The Navy Construction Battalion, better known as the Seabees, is responsible for building much of the infrastructure at U.S. military locations around the world. Navy veteran Scott Friend gives us a glimpse into how they prepare forward operating bases for the likes of Army Rangers and SEAL teams, and as a sometimes harsh reality doing so under fire. The Seabees aren't as well known by the general public, but for those directly impacted by their craftsmanship, they are respected and appreciated for their can-do motto and their ability to bring the comforts of home to the harsh environments of a war zone. This is the Carry the Load podcast. How do you describe Seabees to the civilian? So during the war, uh, World War II, we had uh, contractors going over and they were the ones doing all the building, but these guys can't carry weapons. So these are civilians getting killed uh, in the war effort. And so Admiral Ben Morrell decided, hey, uh, and a lot of other people, but he, he's the father of the Seabees. He realized there was a, a need for people in the skilled trades to be over there, but they needed to carry a weapon, which is against the Geneva Convention if you're a civilian. So you're treated as a guerrilla. Um, so the Seabees were stood up. The cool thing is when they stood them up, these are folks from the trades that are not young men. I mean, these are journeyman level, master level carpenters, electricians, plumbers. So it was a ragtag bunch from what, you know, what I can tell from the, the, the history books on the CBs. Uh, but it was really neat. I mean, you had these skilled builders that wanted to give their time to the war effort. And the only skill they were really missing is, well, here's how you protect yourself in a time of war. Sometimes you have CBs going out and building a cop or a fob, and this is, you know, enemy territory. And uh, typically you would have some sort of um, protection force, I guess, some sort of security force, whether that's Rangers, SEALs, um, infantry, something. Because I, I tell people that if if we were shooting back, we're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're not infantrymen. We're not trained to that level. You're trained enough to defend yourself, but we're not a, um, we're not an offensive force. Right. If you're in a firefight, something's gone wrong <laughs> and you're being trouble. attacked. Exactly. Is that, is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, exactly. So, um, like I said, when I went over, uh, most of these fobs, everything was pretty much established, but we were still taking fire. I mean, cause you got the travel back and forth between the camps. Um, and we're taking mortar rounds, getting shot at so that, I mean, it still happens. So you're definitely in harm's way. And, uh, Man, it's tough. I mean, it's it's a unique experience. It's nothing like I ever thought it would be. And what was your specialty inside? Of I was a builder, so I was a carpenter. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I'm thinking in terms of what you do, mm -hmm. you know, now as a uh, uh, as a contractor in the construction world. Is there anything that that you guys couldn't do versus the world that you live in now? probably couldn't get away with what we could in the CBs. There's no OSHA overseas. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the mission. You got to get it built. You got to get it done. There's no, I mean, schedule's king because when you have a SEAL team flying in, in X amount of days, there's no, well, you know, we worked this many hours. I mean, it, it's not, it's not like the regular world where we have plans and specs that we're building to. It's, it doesn't have to look pretty. And so we just have to get it done. I mean, but you, your pride still wants to make sure that it oh, looks of course. good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at that specific time, I think we had, I want to say we had about three weeks that we were supposed to be there. 
this ended up turning and this almost is where? two months. This is in Afghanistan. The fob that we were sent to, we had Dev Group flying in, and we had to build their uh, tent camp, basically. Okay, so the, so you were building this for SEAL Team 6. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that begs the question, did this have anything to do with, with bin Laden? I'm sure it did. Uh, we weren't privy to a lot of the information. The area that I was at, um, we had to sign all these forms. You know, we couldn't have cameras. Uh, we, we couldn't disclose a lot of information. And we were attached to JSOC, Joint Special Operations. So we had, you know, Dev Group, SEAL Team 6, uh, First Ranger Battalion, uh, MARSOC. I think they weren't, they had just started back up again. So help people understand, when you, when you push out mm -hmm. and you establish a forward operating base, um, you're talking about SEAL Team 6 as an example. They come in, and you've already been there. You've mm -hmm. already you've already built them a little bit of a uh, um, a little bit of a place to to yeah. live and operate from. Mm -hmm. But when you guys get there, there's nothing. As far as I know, they were going out to places where people were still you know showering out of water bottles, and like there was nothing set up. So that was the whole point. Now these guys are there with us. Um, so if we had to go establish that, because again, they're our protection. Um, so we're building for these guys. So of course they want to take care of us. You know, we're the ones helping them out. Sure. Just like, uh, you know, our tradesmen in the field. Well, they can't operate as effectively. Exactly. Yeah. Because they don't have, I mean, some of these, the smallest things to an infantryman, to a special forces guy, I mean, just the smallest thing to, to not have to pour a bottle of water over your head to mm -hmm. shower and just pull a string and let it be on for three seconds rather than constantly dumping. Yeah. That's a big deal. The creature comforts go a long way for sure. You start off with brown sand and, and walk people through the phases of where it eventually gets to. Because, to, I mean, to me, that's fascinating. We, you watch a movie and you see that stuff and you take it for granted that it was just like already there or something. Mm -hmm. How long does it take to get from that brown sand to, to where it ultimately ends up? So the duration, I would I mean, that's going to vary just depending on logistics as far as getting supplies in. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, first thing, setting up perimeter security. That, and that's the HESCO barriers, you know. Um, some sort of protection around that soon-to-be facility. That could be jersey barriers, something something solid that if, God forbid, uh, like a V-bid or something comes in, it's it's not going to drive straight into the center where you're at. I guess yeah, V-bid being a vehicle IED. Right. So you're setting up some sort of perimeter. So that's the footprint of the soon-to-be camp. And, you, you know, you're planning your logistics just like you would uh, building a SIP. So we're, we're planning a... a facility and it's really fun but you've also got to think in mind are you do you have you know your your cones of fire like do you have your left and right lateral limit this is not the stuff i'm thinking about on a day job right building right. buildings so um now i'm sure this is all above my head how this happens but you're using people like civil affairs to make those those connections and we're getting our product we had a ton of third country nationals that came to work with us too so you're that's the whole hearts and minds piece, right? So we're, we're employing their people. They're helping us out build this base. So now you've got all your logistics taken care of. And at that point, it's just, it's planning out where this stuff goes, get material and just go to town. How much does the plan change and how much of it is a plan on paper? But then when you get there, you go, oh, the ground doesn't look like this. And so we're, you know, how much changes? Um, that's a good question. I mean, going back to that one instance where we couldn't get material because guys were getting blown up, but we always made a way. 
the, the CB motto is can do. We're going to make a way. And that has stuck with me, I mean, to this day. And there's a lot of people, and it's not just specifically military, obviously. There's people with that mindset everywhere. But the, the level of friction mm -hmm. is so totally different over in the sandbox where, you, you know, you, you literally have bad guys out there. Talk, talk about that. How does that mess with your mind when you've got a very, your job is not to kill people out there. Your job is to keep others alive mm -hmm. so they can go kill them. But you have to avoid being killed yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the trust factor in, in whoever's kind of guarding us, our guardian angel, if you will. Um, so the guy I wear my band for, he was the ranger that protected us um, where we were building on that fob, same fob that uh, the guys, all the materials getting blown up. So it's the trust factor in, hey, if something goes, does go down, I have to have a comfort level in their training. It's not easy. I mean... I can remember laying awake at night and there were days sometimes I would go without sleep just because I was so stressed out about, man, if a, if a bomb came in at the right spot, I'm done. I mean, there's no running to the bunker. You're done. One of the fives we went to, they call it Rocket City because, I mean, this thing was getting hit all the time. And I'm like, man, if this stuff comes in, we're done. But you, you learn, and I think that's helped me now, is you have to expect the unexpected. I mean, something's going to happen that's out of my control. The, the stakes are very different. Livelihood versus life. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure you had some close calls like that in, in, in Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have like constantly bullets wasn't passed my head or anything because we're not, it's, it's really weird. You know, the, the, the term front lines, right? Like that's, the war in Afghanistan was completely different. Everything was the front line. So it's, it's very difficult in that, you know, I'm not, I'm not right there. I'm not with the Ranger Battalion going into people's houses and taking care of business. Uh, but yeah, you receive incoming and things like that. There was, there was one occasion that I can remember, and I still reach out to my buddy Randall every year on Thanksgiving, because this was Thanksgiving 2009. And we were on a blackout fob. And so for those people that don't know, you know, blackout, there's no light. Uh, because with nods on, I mean, you can see a cigarette from a ways away. People can, can scope Nods being uh, night, night vision. vision. Yeah, so you can see people from quite a ways away. Um, but some idiot <laughs> decided, and I don't know who, we saw a door open and close, and we're going, oh, great, here we go. Because you know there are people watching. I mean, there's always some jerk somewhere, enemy, with binoculars, night vision, something. Sure enough, within minutes, we start taking incoming, the alarm goes off, and the only thing we had to run to at the time is we're building this, this, this is a fresh piece of a, of a larger fob, so it's this big open gravel area with nothing, no cover, uh, not even concealment, nothing. So of course, we didn't have a, uh, anywhere to go to when bombs were started falling, so they had these pods that they built that were, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the size of this room. They weren't very big, uh, but they were for prisoners. So when they when they wrap these guys up, um, they put them in that prison uh, for a short period of time before they are able to take them back and processed. Bombs are coming in, and we just we got to that point where we're like, here we are. Like we don't know where it's coming from. You can hear it, and the alarms are going off. But if they start, 
you know, incoming towards our position, it's probably going through the roof and we're probably done. So we're just trying to have a, a good time with each other. Talking crap. We're like, oh, happy Thanksgiving, guys. And so to this day, I still text him, hey, man, just thinking about you. Um, and it's it, it's a bonding experience, right? It's interesting. You were you were talking about the uh, the challenges of, um, you know, you're building something. You know, here come here, here comes some uh, some incoming fire. Um, and I had this this mental picture. Of, this is really way out there, but um, last of the Mohicans. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that is exactly that, man. That's such a good uh, analogy. Because I, I don't know if I share with you when you came out to the job site, but uh, that so this I always go back to this one file we built on, probably because I didn't do much on the other one. So um, the longest workday I ever did in my life was a 27-hour like straight labor, just go 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 nonstop. Um, and toward the end of it, we started taking rounds and. I can remember saying to the guy who outranks me, so even though I was the crew leader at the time, they brought in, uh, I believe he was an E6 at the time, I was an E4. And I said, man, we gotta go, we gotta go to the bunker because this stuff was getting close. And we did have a bunker at that point. And he's saying, I don't give a crap. I mean, in, in more uh, harsh terms, <laughs> don't know. More eloquent. Yeah, sure. Um, he said, keep going. You know, we, and I can remember hanging off of this rooftop. So we've got this peak at the roof that's corrugated sheet metal and I'm screwing in the sheet metal and I'm hanging onto the peak of this roof and I've got concertina wire uh, below me on top of barricades. And I'm like, man, if I let go of this thing, I'm, I'm going to, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And, uh, yeah, there was just this. Go, you probably go, go weren't mentality. tethered. No, God, no, no. I mean, you're just crawling all over the place trying to get things done. So, but yeah, it's very similar to that because it was, we stopped. Okay. Where's it coming from? Is it going to hit us? Maybe, but just keep going. And we just, we kept pressing on. That's helped me today because I don't care how late I'm at work. I'm like, thank God it was not, it's not that day. I'm not doing straight labor for 27 hours. So. Do you, do you think those, those guys from the SEAL teams and, and, and from the Green Beret and the Marsoc at, or, or even straight leg guys like me, do you think they have an appreciation for what you guys did? Yeah, I think they do. Um, and the reason I say that confidently is because I'll tell you, every time I've met a SEAL since I've been out, it's, it's always neat to interact with these guys or a lot of Marines too, um, or anybody that has served with a CB unit somehow with support. Every single time they just, their eyes light up and they get all excited. I can remember I was on a golf tournament a year or two ago and there was a seal out there with his booth set up. He, uh, he owned a company and he was giving away like bottles. It was a, a liquor company of some sort. And so we're chatting up. I said, yeah, yeah, I was a CB. And he, oh man, you guys, you guys work your tail off, man. And just really appreciative. And I'm thinking you guys are the guys we look up to. Like that's, it's, it's really neat to have this mutual respect. Um, and you'll see, I mean, Amor McRaven wrote a book, and uh, I, I think it was his Sea Stories book. Really good book. And in that, he mentions just how much he loves the Seabees. And we built I, – I, it wasn't my team. It was prior to us, but I was, I was in this facility. We built the, top, or the Joint Operations Center, uh, the jock at the camp, and he remembers that. 
And that's just really cool to hear that from somebody of, of his stature, right? Like somebody who's very well known in the special operations community, um, you know, in Texas because of his position at uh, the university. And yeah, I definitely think they have an appreciation for it. So were y'all able to, um, y'all able to bring everybody back home okay? Yeah. Um, yeah, our battalion was, um, the guys that we were attached to were not, and that was tough. Um, that was a really unique point because most of us at that battalion had not been in, or at least in our company, had not been in combat. I think, I want to say a bomb came into the chow hall maybe. I think it was the chow hall and a guy was within like two weeks of going home. And you hear all these horror stories and we're going, great. You know, this is horrific. We're terrified. Um, and then when we got to the first five we went to to build, it was either the day prior or two days prior two rangers got killed. One of them, it was his first mission and he got shot coming off the ramp of the bird. And young guy, um, Hario and Dawson, I remember their names. Um, and I, I believe Private Hario, it was his first mission, I think. Pretty he sure. Didn't, he didn't even get a, a step. No, so at least that's what I was told. Is and, and there's there's a there's a, a documentary about it I found later, um, talking about that unit. And I just thought that was really neat. And I happened to reconnect with one of the guys and chatted with him about it. He didn't know about the documentary. I, said, I mean, it's it's all on there. So you you mentioned the um, the prisoner hmm? box. Oh yeah. Did you ever come across any of those prisoners? I did. Did you, did you see them brought back in? I did, uh, yeah. What was that like? It was an interesting scenario, I guess. We had a, a camp that had a prison on it. The only way I could describe it was like a horror movie. And what I mean by that is not like body parts or anything crazy. It was just like surreal that these are, this is the face of evil, some of these guys. Just the horrific things that they did to people. Um, and we did have one guy that we saw him kind of intermittently and he got blown up on the way. So his jaw is practically hanging off and he's coming to the gate holding this thing on. And I got, I got to work. I got to work. I'm like, oh my gosh. So this, this talk is about one of the drive. Afghani locals. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about this guy's drive. Was it the money? You know, was it the security? I, I don't know, but. I've never seen somebody come to a job site with their jaw hanging off saying I got to work. It's just wild. Um, but yeah, so we didn't, we never got close to like with the Terps or anything, any of the guys that went out with the other guys in the mission, but we had our own little subset of guys and we got close to them. We, we learned a little bit about their families and things like that. Um, or one guy would bring his uncle with him. Um, he didn't do anything, but an older guy that would sit with him. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really neat. And, uh, that started me on a faith journey when I was over there too. I always respected just how much they honored their faith. It was really neat. You went on a faith journey and then it ultimately led you into uh... not that faith. <laughs> so yeah, I did. Uh, cause I thought that was the route I was going to take. And, uh, I'm just, you know, I was 23, 24, maybe 23, probably at the time. So, you know, I'm a young man thinking, why are we here, right? The big questions and all this stuff. And I just, I, I had this immense respect for their reverence for God. And, um, 
how they would intentionally stop so many times out throughout the day to pray. And, um, you know, we're getting bombs coming in and you got all this stuff going on in your mind thinking, what's it all mean? And, and so all these big questions, right? Um, and I did this two deployments. I would have this, oh my gosh, moment and think, I'm going to go on the straight and narrow when I come back. And I would just party and I got out of the service and um, without going into too many details, you know, I basically, I hit a rock bottom and uh, my boss at the time really helped me out. I found my way to a church and my life changed a lot. You know, some of that being my part I did in the reserves. Uh, but yeah, I thought I was going to come back into the service full time and be a chaplain. I only did two years in uh, the reserves and I ended up with a PSYOP unit, um, thought, man, I'm going to go full time. Uh, but my wife had such a hard time with me being out of town only for a couple weeks on field training. We both agreed, hey, this is probably not the best thing for our family. Right. Well, as you know, Carry the Load is about restoring the true meaning of Memorial Day and making sure that we honor those who did not get to come home. They never got to take off the uniform. And we want to honor them by making sure that we keep their memories alive. So who are you carrying? So there are four that I'm carrying. So like I shared with you, I did. I was able to do the walk um, a couple years ago. Got injured, couldn't do it this last year. But uh, so I had my rucksack on and I had um, David Davison, who was um, a mentor of mine, my first command, died in a helicopter crash. Um, Chief Raymond Border, who he augmented to the army to support them, um, individual augmentee, got blown up in an IED blast. Um, Joey Dimmick, the guy that I represent every day, um, he was our overwatch, and his parents gave me this on the 10th anniversary of his death, and wow. I said, I will never take it off. Justin Hunt was a good friend of mine. And uh, Justin took his life. And that was the hardest one for me, for sure. Especially since he was here in Texas. And, uh, you know, if I'd have known he was suffering, I'm sure there's a lot of us that would have driven out, flown out to talk to him. But... Uh, what did you take away from that? If I think about the guys that I served with, we're so fortunate now that we're just a phone call away. And there are a lot of us, after Justin passed, the bonds between some of those guys got even closer just because there's, you know, there's a few guys that I can call and trust that if I'm really in a time of need, that these guys are gonna come to my side. So our bond was already tight, and now it's just, it's irreplaceable. There's all this trauma. People deal with it differently. You've got the guys at the tip of the spear and you have your everyday Joe Schmo that might that has some sort of trauma in their past. And our brains react to it very similarly. And so what a lot of us learned out of that was if I need to talk somebody, to somebody, I need to talk to somebody. If I've got problems, I need to get them fixed. Like, let's figure this out. Scott, thanks, man. Thank you, brother. It's, uh, it's been enjoyable. I hope it hadn't been uh, difficult being on the other side of it. Yeah, this is unique. Thank you for having me as a guest. Absolutely. I really appreciate man. it.
Thanks. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe and like, and please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.